Hey there, welcome to the Snakebird Podcast. My name's Josh. And I'm Steve. Together we invite you to join us as we explore the mysteries of Scripture, the realm of God, and freedom through Christ. So spread out your wings and slither in place because this is Snakebird. Hey, welcome Snakebirds to another episode of the Snakebird Podcast. Today's topic is one I've often been asked about, and also one that I've had to take an introspective look at my own heart to confront. That question is, can you recover from a seared conscience? Yeah, I have a feeling there's probably a lot of people out there that need to hear this episode and what it addresses, and I guess you could even say uh, it's our mental state during recovery from sin, failure, and disappointment. Yeah, and this can be a difficult topic, and we really are going to have to navigate it with the heart of a snake bird. It's one of those discussions where if we don't rightly divide the word of truth correctly, we could really give some people some bad theology. And we don't want to lean into condemnation, but we also don't want to hand out cheap grace. And it's for me, it's been a time of prayer and seeking God to speak through us as we address this topic with serious eternal implications to bring balance to our understanding of this topic and then the passages that discuss it. Yeah, yeah. And I would say before you hit the stop button thinking this is going to be a real downer episode, <laughs> it's not. Um, no. th- this is actually going to be a very uplifting episode as we see what God's Word says about these things. And it's it's extremely relevant, too, because there's a lot of, every one of us at some point in our lives will go through what this is addressing. Yeah. So it's it's important we know how to deal with it and what, what roads to take when we come up to it. Yeah. And you know, I always take hope that God loves the wanderer and he addresses that person a ton in scripture. And I even think it's so interesting that that hymn that says, come now found of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. I don't know if you've heard the backstory about it, but that was a man who was a wanderer. He, you know, even the verse um, at the end says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy uh thrown above or courts above. And uh, from what I've heard, the story goes is that he wrote that Mm -hmm. and then he actually backslid and walked away from God. And it wasn't until there was actually this woman that he was courting and she goes, man, I want to read you this really beautiful verse of a song that I read. (sighs) And she read it to him and he goes... I'm the one that wrote that and and it led him back. Wow. So <laughs> that's why. Yeah. Well, yeah, I love the idea that that God and it's true, he meets us where we're at. Yeah. Uh if we're on the mountaintops or in the valleys, he is if we receive him, he meets us where we're at. Yeah. So that's that's especially needed when we're in the valleys. Right. Yeah. So all right. Well, where should we start, Josh? Do you want to start with defining some of these things, like conscience? Yeah, yeah. How okay. would you How would you define conscience? <laughs> well, here's what I found. If I was going to define conscience, it's right. the cognitive process that elicits emotion and rational associations based on an individual's moral philosophy or value system. Oh, okay. Could you repeat that in English? <laughs> 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 no, just re- just repeat it again. Okay, Let me yeah. soak it back in. Yeah, because as I was reading it, I'm like, ooh, <laughs> what, what would I say if I was trying to make this like Larry the Cable Guy understanding? <laughs> oh, I thought you were trying to impersonate me there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, one more time. All right. I'm sorry. I'm slow. Uh, the cognitive process, so the thought process that elicits emotion and rational associations, so thought and um, feelings, 
based on an individual's moral philosophy, so what we believe is morally good or right, and value system. Oh, yeah. And, okay, the reason that I really went into defining uh, conscience is because a lot of times you talk about how your Holy Spirit can kind of operate like your conscience. And for me, I wanted to make sure that I know where that delineation is. Yeah. Because everybody's born with a conscience. That's one of the things that God gave us when we were made in his image. But not everyone has the Holy Spirit living inside them. Yeah, that's true. That, that That's a really good thing to distinguish between is a conscience in a conscience with the Holy Spirit alongside yes. it. Yeah. And we see in the book of Acts that it says that the Holy Spirit is with us. But until the time that we receive Jesus into our heart, he's not in us. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's evident to see too. Yeah, that can get played out. Yeah. Um, okay, so I also defined um, a seared conscience to be uh, speaking of being desensitized. Yes. Um, this this condition could be uh, it, it could lead to depression, lack of feeling towards others, bad relationships, anger, feeling worthless. That's a big one. Yeah. Um, and many other really bad mental states. So that's that's kind of the flip. So there's the Holy Spirit alongside it, and then there's just the the desensitized state. Yeah, yeah. I went into that realm as well because I was talking about how everyone's born with a conscience that we have an understanding of right and wrong, of good and evil, because we're made in the image of God. I think about this with kids. We don't have to be taught how to say no, do we? if you have a toddler out there did you teach them how to say no and you say no and they're like no 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 no." so um but as we as we go along we're actually free to ignore our conscience or tell it no as if you know if you will and if ignored or compromised for long enough it may virtually stop telling us what we're doing is wrong altogether yeah and that can get deep yeah or boiled down It's taking the part of us that knows what not to do and applying a hot iron to it to kill those nerve endings. It's like a picture of cauterization to make it insensible or to deaden it. That's a seared conscience to me. Yeah. And and since we're in these realms, in these waters, if you will, I was thinking about the seared conscience and I kind of separated them in my mind in two different categories. Um, one would be a believer who's recovering from a seared conscience, which will probably be our main focus. Yeah. Uh, but number two would be a person who's not yet saved, who, like you were saying, the Holy Spirit has come alongside to start the eye-opening process. Yeah. And um, I, I think we should address that second one really quick because we're living in a day and age where people are being molded to accept standards that blow my mind. Yes. Um, just a culture we're born into now. That's, yeah. that's what it is. And things are being presented in such a way, in, in a persuasive way, that people are just falling into line. And they don't even realize it. Have you have you heard the example of the frog in the boiling pot of water? Yeah. Uh, just real quick, if you haven't. You know, if, if you throw a frog in a boiling pot of water, it's going to jump out real quick. But if you put it in there in room temperature water and just slowly heat it up, it'll slowly cook that frog. Mm-hmm. And that's what Satan has done with our society. And people don't realize how far we've actually fallen. So I would say for an individual who's been raised in a really hot water scenario, the detox can be challenging. And if there's a listener out there who doesn't quite get all this religious stuff, number one, I would suggest go back to episode 12, The Dangers of Organized Religion. Yeah, That'd be a good place for you to go. And number two, uh, the very fact that you're listening to this means that God brought you here. 
he's reaching out to you even right this minute. So stick with us. Yeah. So that's, I just wanted to address that before we even got into it. Yeah. Especially like you said, for non-believers, there has been a morality shift, especially over the last 20 or 30 years. Yeah. And things that we would have never deemed as acceptable as a society are now a norm. Mm -hmm. And that's why your conscience is not the Holy Spirit, because your Holy Spirit will never allow sin, whereas your conscience may. Yeah. So. Yeah, it can start leaning. Exactly. And and it depends on your surroundings. If you're raised in an environment where that becomes the norm, then that's going to be built in as your uh, this is okay kind of thought process. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, just like any bad physical or mental condition, the earlier we recognize we have it, the quicker we can deal with it. And um, most have likely heard that the first step in recovery is admitting you have a problem. Mm. I think that probably came from AA or something. <laughs> yeah. But it's true. It yeah. really is. And, and the problem that we have is that unpleasant word, sin. Mm. It's not people don't like to say it. People don't like to talk about it. And some pastors don't even like to acknowledge it. Exactly. And, and just like alcoholics might not want to talk about the bottle, you got to address it if you're going to fix it. That's true. And so I, I found something interesting as I hopped on Google. Check out the, uh, the titles of some of these books I found. Um, How to Be a Better Person, Best Self, Be You Only Better, The Anxiety, Worry, and Depression Workbook, How to Rebuild Yourself, Gift of Happiness, and my two favorites, It's Not Supposed to Be This Way, followed by Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. It's overwhelmingly clear that there's a lot of people out there seeking to fix something inside of them. Mm. But I got to tell you, until the root of all unhappiness, which is sin, is understood and dealt with, there's going to be a painful struggle, um, a never-ending striving for something. And self-help books and things like that, it'll only pacify this condition, which will always come back. Mm. Uh, the six-cycle carousel, so Lifehouse would put it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, but seriously, I, I think it'd be... Um, I think it'd be good, too, to define, and and obviously you can add to that, Josh, but define what sin does so that we can overcome what it does to us. Okay, yeah. What does sin do? Well, first and foremost, it separates us from God. Yeah. Bible tells us that. Yes. (laughs) In uh, Isaiah 59, 2, it says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Oh, wow. And that's, that's kind of harsh at first reading. It, it, it is harsh at first reading. But he wants us to get the point. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be this way. Um, one scripture that hits home for me really hard, because this is the scripture that came into my ear as I was listening to a podcast that, that really made a huge impact for me, is Isaiah 1, 18 through 20. The scripture reads, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. If you consent and obey, you will eat the best of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. Truly the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And that, that guys, is a verse that, I mean, it really hit me hard. And, and it's really a perfect snake bird balance in yeah. this verse because it speaks to both God's, his love and his patience and his rebuke. Yeah. And so that verse, man, dwell on it. Dwell on it. It's Isaiah 1, 18 through 20. And we see two choices. It's up to us. I think of Morpheus in the Matrix. Yeah. He's got the red pill and the blue pill. Do you want to know God, or do you want to remain as you are? Yeah. 
I've always loved those verses because what he's saying is my salvation's free, but just come and get it from me. I've already paid that price. So I just think that's such a that's such a neat verse to to fall back on. That's a fantastic verse. I think you and me have gotten lost for hours talking about the <laughs> mysteries of, of those verses. Yeah. It is fantastic. Yeah. That's great. And you know, what I think gets so many people stuck in this miserable state of guilt is thinking that we're too far gone to be recovered. Mm. I mean, Josh, you and I, we've spent some time out in the uh, the homeless shelter area of our town. And I mean, don't you remember some of these these people we've talked to out there? They they literally think that they're too far gone. Yes. And it's it's very it's um it tugs on your heart because uh, sometimes you're not able to explain to them that's not the case. Yes. Yeah, we we did this in our um 10 Biggest Lives of Satan, where we talked about no one is beyond the reach of God. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if we couldn't emphasize it enough then, then please let us emphasize it enough now, Yeah, is that no one is beyond the reach of God. And, and I don't know if this is a good time to bring it up, but I think about the unforgivable sin. Do you think this I, is... Yeah, I think, yeah, but we have to talk about it because I can't tell you how many people... Um, I think everybody, even especially as children, yeah. you think, oh, I hope I haven't committed it. <laughs> yeah. But um, the, the mere fact, I would say right off the bat, the mere fact you're battling these ideas, that's a good sign. Yes. Like if you were, I think of the verse, um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding. Yeah. Th- that's a good thing. That's yeah. a, that's one of those check engine lights that your car's not broke down yet. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So... One of the pastors I've always looked up to had an interesting way of addressing questions of the nature of like, can I lose my salvation or or have I committed the unforgivable sin? And, and we're going to go into that. But I always liked how he would give the answer based on their spiritual temperature or the condition of their heart. Uh, when they were asking this question. And if there was someone who had a really soft heart that was coming and they were um, in fear of losing, let's say, their salvation, and they wanted to grow closer to God, then he could sense that because of how they were asking it. And he would lead them to scriptures like John uh, chapter 10, verses 27 through 29, where Jesus says, no one is able to snatch you out of my hand. And then he goes on to the next verses to say, no one can snatch you out of my father's hand. Or he would say like Ephesians 1, 11 or 12, in him we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works in all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Or even like Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing that he who begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Mm. And he just gives them hope because he realizes that in like maybe they've fallen short and they've sinned and they're kind of have that panic. But then on the other hand, you might have somebody who comes and maybe the condition of their heart is not in as good of a place. And they're like, so how close can I get to the line before I cross it? Yeah. And he might be a little bit more direct with them with some of the scriptures from like Hebrews. And those ones are ones that are really hard to to get a hold on at times. Yeah. One of the Peters too. There's some, (laughs) there's some, uh, (laughs) there's some scary ones. Yeah, there there really are. Well, and yeah, and I think here in a second, we, we might talk about um, the whole idea of practicing sin. Yeah. And that, we'll be getting into that too. But b- before we jump there, I, I do, I want to mention 
the, the context of when Jesus had spoken about this blasphemy that's unforgivable. The unforgivable sin. Yeah. Um, he was addressing the type of heart that refused to believe in what God was clearly showing perpetually. Yes. Uh, this wasn't a general skeptic refusal to believe. This was Jesus looking into the heart of people who he could jump in time and see that they would take this hardened heart of disbelief to the grave. Yeah. Now, I'll say, you know, there is a point where God will have given someone enough chances to give their life to him. And if they plant their feet against him, he will eventually grant them that decision because he can see their final choice. Mm. There's a lot of things that we, we don't think like God because his ways are not our ways. Yeah. He can see in time. I mean, and so when someone hears that voice inside them, urging them to give their life to this God they cannot see, hmm. that is the Holy Spirit speaking to that person. Right. And the more we resist that calling, the easier the rejection will become. But... If anyone is listening right now and you can hear that voice calling out to you, that is the Holy Spirit in 2 Corinthians 6, 2 states, For he says, At the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Mm. So if you're hearing that voice, it's not too late, and please make that decision now. Yeah. Okay. Can we put this in context just a little bit further? Because yeah, maybe there's it. someone who's listening that's like, you keep saying unforgivable or unpardonable sin. I don't even know what that is. Yeah. So it's found a couple different places in scripture, but I'll read one of them. It's Mark chapter three. And this is in verse 28. It says, Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation because they said, and this is regarding the Pharisees and the scribes, because they said he has an unclean spirit. And so, I mean, when you read that, you're like, well, he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. That is, that sounds like a harsh, um, mm -hmm. you know, a harsh edict, doesn't it? It does. That's, yeah. that's heart check in, you know, territory. Yes, for real. And, and okay. So one of the commentators I was reading on this said that he felt like there was actually um, two opportunities to commit the sin. And he said, now one of those has passed because that was actually during the life and time of Jesus, where this is where they were coming against him directly and they were speaking. And he's like, listen, you got to be careful because you're directly doing it to my face and I will take it. That's why Jesus came. And he's mm -hmm. like, I came because um, even dying on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But the, even, even then, those same scribes and Pharisees were still committing the blasphemy, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit when they stoned Stephen and kept rejecting what he had to offer. And that's why uh, this commentator said that we can still commit this sin in the second way today, mm -hmm. whereas we believe it's an outright rejection of God for all eternity. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. It's not something that you, it's not a, a single act you can do. Yeah. Yeah. And that's important. No, exactly. And, and because, you know, <laughs> I was thinking of like, you know, uh, there's not like a secret word that you say, and that's the unforgivable sin yeah. or some kind of mythical thing like that. Um, as the quest Bible study puts it, Jesus gave the solemn warning in these verses to people whose hard heartedness placed them on the brink of disaster. 
Blasphemy against the Spirit evidently is not just a one-time offense, like you said. Rather, it is an ongoing attitude of rebellion, a stubborn way of life that continually resists, rejects, and insults the Holy Spirit. This is what makes it, in effect, an eternal sin. Blasphemy against the Spirit is not unforgivable because of something done unintentionally in the past, but because of something that is being done deliberately and unrelenting in the present. Oh, yeah. So if you're an authentic Christian, don't spend time fretting over whether or not you have accidentally committed this unforgivable offense. There is no biblical evidence that a genuine Christian can commit this unforgivable sin, says the Apologetic Study Bible. Fear that one has done so is probably a good sign that one hasn't. For full-fledged apostasy is a defiant rejection of everything Christian and lacks the tender conscience that would be worried about such an action. That's a quote from Lee Strobel. Oh, nice. Yeah, this is, it's so important that, that if you're a Christian out there and you're struggling with any of this, you're not too far gone. The way I think about it is like, let's say that there are some people out there that have the theory that everyone will eventually end up in heaven. And even those that have committed this unforgivable sin. But if you think about it, I really like the band U2. And I like you too, Stephen. But <laughs> do you like you too? Uh, not particularly. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, in the name of love, say you like you too. No. Oh, I, I like it. Okay. I got I got their album when I got an iPhone. Once. Oh, okay. Well, they even have an album called Joshua Tree. <laughs> that, That's dude, why you like it. You can't you can't bring up that that fiasco about the the I'm album. Sorry. That, I'm no, sorry. people felt violated by that. And, oh no. And yeah, okay. <laughs> they didn't have that great of songs on that album. But let's go back to their original music. Yeah. You know, I can't live with or without you. But okay. So let's just say you two and. Their concert is coming to town, but you don't want to go to their concert and you don't like you too. So you just established that. Yeah. Now, if I forced you to go to that concert, would that be right? No, not in my mind. If I grabbed you, dragged you, you know, dragged you kicking and screaming and you're leaving nail marks on the concrete. As oh, I'm, man, you're giving me the shivvies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> as I'm pulling you into United Supermarkets Arena so you can hear. Yeah. Okay, oh, so um, <laughs> you're not going to like that, right? And and Correct. you're not going to enjoy it being there because you didn't originally want to come anyway. Yeah. Well, that's the same thing about heaven, mm-hmm. is that this person who said, I don't want anything to do with God, I don't want God, I, in fact, am running in the opposite direction, trying to become the best sinner I possibly can be. Yeah. How bad would it be if God brought them to heaven? Yeah. It wouldn't make any sense because they willfully rejected him forever intentionally so and yeah and that that's a that's a type of heart that you can only understand if you're in it yeah because i i think of my conversion i'm like no i don't want that yeah but then there's people that do and i don't understand how they can make that decision i think honestly it's probably just hurdles they need to overcome yeah yeah but for those that are thinking even if they like a loved one that they know who's not walking with god has committed the unforgivable sin i just want to say this in the last remark is that even if the sinner so hardens his heart that he seems to be insensitive to the pleadings of god so as long as there is life there is hope 
Only God knows if and when there is any deadline that has been crossed. So we must never give up on any sinner. 1 Timothy 2.4, speaking of God, says, He desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of His truth. And then 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness or slowness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So, don't fret out there if you think um, a loved one has committed the unforgivable sin because as long as they're breathing, there is still hope. There's still life. Yeah, that's so true. And it's important that we see God's heart in that. Yeah. It really is. And if it'd be all right with you, Josh, I, I want to kind of dig in even a little deeper on this sure. because I think that it's so important uh, for anyone who out there who's really struggling with the idea that you're too far gone or you have too much guilt, whatever it may be. I would like to walk you through some scriptures that will 100% soothe your soul if you receive them as truth and walk in them. And the first basic foundation of this is confession. Mm. It is the foundation for this cure. Yeah. First uh, John 1, 9, as we've already mentioned, uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, confession will take a massive weight off your shoulders. Yes. Uh, just think of David when Nathan confronted him. It's in, in all of our lives, that moment that we confess what we know we've been doing, mm-hmm. it's not right. But don't, as some of my redneck friends would say, a power stall after this confession, which is to spin your wheels, you know, with this this confession, and then don't go anywhere after that. Okay. Um, I figured I needed to, to define that. <laughs> but yeah, don't just do a confession. Uh, and then leave it there. We see a picture painted in Second Peter chapter 1 in which Peter makes this statement. I will always remind you of these things even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live. So Peter is clearly aware of our need to be reminded. Mm-hmm. And that's okay because yeah. we need that. All yeah. of us need that. But he goes on to tell us what we should practice to engage our security in God. And the the cool thing about the the seven things that he mentions that we can do is that we can look at them and practice them in an everyday scenario. Yeah. But we can also pinpoint how healthy our walk with God is by uh, examining where we are in these seven things in the timeline of our life. Yeah. So... Like a bird's eye view type of deal. So the the first one is virtue. Um, try to detox your thinking by renewing your mind, like Romans chapter 12. That's a great place to start. The second is knowledge. This would be godly wisdom, like the snake part of snake bird, yeah. um, which can only be gained by first having virtue. These are chronological. Uh, episode one would be a great resource for that. Number three is self-control. Self-control is needed after knowledge so that we don't get a big head and we'll fall back to square one uh, in that never-ending cycle. Number four would be perseverance. This might be the point that so many fall back on too because when you lack patience with what God is doing, you act impulsively. And once again, that can send you back to square one. We have to be patient in what God is doing and trust that he's working even when we can't see it. And when I, when I say back to square one, I'm not talking about a working to heaven. I'm talking about an emotional, a mental state and how we look at things. Um, number five, godliness. And the, the Greek word for godliness speaks of a heart becoming devoted 
to the point of reflecting God's own nature, um, becoming the image of Christ. Number six, brotherly kindness. Uh, this, this would be a result of godliness as you love your family in the body of Christ. And number seven, of course, is love. And love is the perfect image of God, his essence. And these things, these seven things, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love, they come in succession to one another. They, mm-hmm. they come in turn. Yeah. And these are things that Peter writes in verse 10, as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. That word practice, it is so important um, because it's something we choose to pursue. Yeah. You know, I love these verses because... I think about it as like a bro, because Peter says, I encourage you to supplement your faith. And I always thought of like vitamins or creatine. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I'm going to the gym. I'm going to supplement right now, you know, and protein powder. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. No, I love that. Because I was trying to think of like the word bro in the different ways that we use it. Like, come on, bro, Cephas, you know, or uh, what's up, bro, tato chip. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I, my, I was drawing a blank. So I'm thankful that you have some. But like Peter goes, supplement your faith and and your faith is, that's what initially happens in your heart when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you have that foundation of faith now. Now he's like, build upon that. And then you have these successive steps. And what's so cool is in our last podcast, we did the root for the fruit. We were talking about the fruit of the spirit. Now I call these, or, or I've even heard them called several different areas, fruits of the faith. Yeah. Because that's the succession of it, and and you're going to add these things as you grow. Yeah, as you practice them. As you supercharge your faith, in a sense, because you're doing the brony thing or whatever. Exactly, yeah. And 1 John 1, 7 states, If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Mm. That's that's a speaking of of practicing. Um, To walk in the light would be to practice by choice these things. Yes. And um, will we fail? Yes. Will we have seasons of doubt and even depression? Probably so. But where our heart strives to be at will be our destination by the grace of God. Yeah. And I, I want to end this this kind of idea here with something John Corson writes about these seven things that we should practice. Yeah. He says, If you feel barren or unfruitful spiritually... If you're going through a dry season in your walk, the Holy Spirit inspired Peter to tell you to start working on these things. He's speaking of those seven. Mm. Start being kind to people. Start adding temperance to your life. Be patient with folks. Go for moral excellence. The degree to which you add these qualities to your life will be the degree to which you will be fruitful and productive in your knowledge of the Lord. So I I thought that that really summed up a really great way that we can start this process of of recovering from a seared conscience. Yeah. Oh wow, I I really like that. Yeah, yeah, and so it's it's talking about practicing practicing these things, yeah. and um, I I think we have to address too the practicing of something else, which would be <laughs> sin. Yeah, because um, we always want to cover the flip side of the coin because we know that there's a lot of people out there, some on the mountaintops and some on the valleys. And so we want to, we want to address both sides of the coin so that we can address them properly with God's word. Yeah. And I think we kind of opened this uh, topic a little bit last week when we spoke about the fruit of the spirit, because 
Um, we were talking about the alternative to that, which was the works of the flesh. Yeah. And it continues on in Galatians chapter five to say that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. So we want to know what those things are. Yes. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> yeah. To avoid them. Right. Yeah. And first John three, nine says no one who is born of God practices sin. Mm. And so in there's... Unfortunately, I discovered two types of sin, which made this study harder, (laughs) but we're going to go over real quick this first one. To which I said, I wish there were more Greek words in the Bible for practice. Exactly. (laughs) I remember me and Josh were texting back and forth. We were just like, oh, what do we do with this? Yeah. This is why we're snake birds, because we came to a scripture that it seemed like there was a weird impasse where we really had to work through and and check our hearts on what these things said and and read and pray and and do the interpretation and, and find out what God is trying to say through the context of these things because we want to make sure that we present it righteously and not give anybody false hope or bad doctrine. And so this is all about, you know, the um, 2 Timothy 2.15 where rightfully defied the scripture and, and, and study. So I thought this was a really good example of that because it is something where we we had to work at it to come to a conclusion. Oh, yeah. And I hope that whoever's listening out there, never think that Josh and I are immune to these these hard struggles that we come up to in Scripture and doubts. Because we, I, I lost sleep over this yeah. after we talked about it. Because yeah. I was like, what is this saying? This was quite the conundrum. It was. And what was hilarious was Josh was like, I just read these three commentators and they wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> and I laughed for like 30 minutes because I was like... Yeah, I cowards, you know, <laughs> cowards. <laughs> but yeah, we struggled with it, and that's what we need to do. That's what we need to do. So, um, the word practice is key. I'd say to make a practice of something, um, it, it's almost out of necessity, mm-hmm. isn't it? It's a means to a desired end. You have to practice to do well in sports. You have to practice your skill to excel at work. Uh, to practice law would to be in constant study to know it better. Yeah. I mean, it is uh, someone who is practicing sin is someone who is not only enjoying it, but it seems to be uh, developing less and less guilt for it. Yeah. It's a striving for. Well, and I've heard this. We always hear that term that says practice makes perfect. Mm-hmm. I've heard on top of that, practice makes permanent. Oh, yeah. That's a good way to put that. Yeah. And it, when it comes to practicing sin and that making that permanent, it kind of actually has a much darker bearing on it. For real. Yeah. Um, we all struggle with particular sins that might even revisit us more often than we'd like to admit. But you got to ask yourself, um, how easy is this becoming? Mm. Uh, do you feel guilty? These are important questions to ask ourselves. And John Piper says this about a believer who is on the edge of practicing sin. But it's also a beautiful picture of how God reaches out to us at that point. And this is, this is deep right here. So he says, You are slipping into a lukewarm, careless, presumptuous frame of mind about your own sinfulness. You are starting to coast or be indifferent to whether you are holy or worldly. You are losing your vigilance against bad attitudes and behaviors and starting to settle in with sinful patterns of behavior. When the born-again person experiences this, the truth of 1 John 3, 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, has the effect. 
by the Holy Spirit of awakening him to the danger of his condition so that he flies to his advocate in propitiation for mercy and forgiveness and righteousness. He confesses his sin and receives cleansing, and his love for Christ is renewed and the sweetness of his relationship is recovered and the hatred of sin is restored and the joy of the Lord again becomes his strength. Mm. So... When you feel this, um, we've talked about condemnation versus conviction. Yeah. When you start to feel this coming on and you feel fear and you're starting to wonder, oh my goodness, have I, am I practicing sin? Have I gone down the road to committing the unforgivable sin? That's how God is touching your heart at that moment saying, hey, hey, come back. Hmm. Don't go down this road. It's a it's a barrier, a firewall. Yeah. And I really that spoke to me a lot because I in my own life I've come to these points where um, perhaps just like David for a year ignored his sin with Bathsheba. Hmm. That was a long period of time. But once it hit him, he's like, oh, you know, it's just this weight lifts off your shoulders and that sweetness comes back. Yeah. So, but but go that route. Yeah. Go that route. Yeah, I think there's a cautionary tale here because, um, you know, you talk to some people and, and there are certain sins in our life that sometimes we just deal with them. And, and I've heard certain pastors call them like life dominating sins. And you're like, man, as far as I run from this, it keeps rearing up. Mm-hmm. But then you do have that question that kind of does the heart check of going, hey, am I liking this too much? Am I kind of letting myself live in it? Or if I've committed this sin, what is the next thing that happens? Do I, do I instantly regret it? Do I instantly go, um, man, I've, I need to come back to the Lord. Um, and I need to ask for forgiveness or is it like, Oh, God forgives me and I'm just going to do it again. Yeah. You know, cause that, if, if, if we're walking in that, that heart of it, then we really need to kind of check where we're at because Absolutely. that's dangerous. But then I also have heard, and I really appreciated this viewpoint. I think it was John Corson that said this. When you're talking about somebody who is uh, practicing, he's like talking about, like, let's say that it's a Division One basketball player, and he's out on the court for three hours a night, you know, working his free throws and his jumpers and his three pointers. I mean, this dude is really trying to become the best at it that he can be, Yeah. you know? And so that's uh, another definition of somebody who's practicing. And I think, you know, as a snake bird, we kind of have to fall into our own interpretation of what that means, but it never should be the line mm-hmm. because our heart in following God should never look to like, where is the line? We should never even look to get close to the line to, in order to cross it. Yeah. We should always be coming back. That's true. And one thing that I love about the word practice is it's not tied to emotion. No. Because a lot of people will feel, well, I don't feel like I'm close to God. And they'll equate that with, you know, things it shouldn't be. Yeah. You should understand that practicing something is something you choose to do. Yeah. So you can, if you're practicing sin, you can choose to stop doing that. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the great news here. If you've still got breath in your lungs, this is a choice thing. Yes. And so that's, that's important to know too. Yeah. And you made me think of like, even Jeremiah says the heart is deceitfully wicked. And Mm -hmm. sometimes Satan will use our emotions to lie to us on where we're at with God. Mm -hmm. And we can't just take our spiritual temperature or spiritual inventory on how we're feeling. 
we need to back that up with facts on where are we at in Christ and yeah. and are we operating as a child of God who's been forgiven, who's been washed, who's been cleansed, you know, who says it's not my righteousness, but Jesus's righteousness that resides on top of you and that's what God sees. Yeah. It's it's not listen to your heart when he's calling to you. It's choose to answer when he's calling to you. Yeah. <laughs> Steven with another 80s song coming in with the hard reference. I like it. That's my ballad, man. Yeah. Um Okay, so all right, I want to hit also this second type of practicing sin. Yes. The one that me and Josh the, yeah, the wrestled with. Yeah, exactly. So this would be to try to achieve salvation through an avenue other than Jesus' finished work on the cross. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I um, consolidated the statement, I guess. Um, so the, the deal here is is Romans 7, because we, we know that no one who practices sin um, enters the kingdom of heaven. Yes. But yet Paul says something over here that we're going to talk about. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and it's in Romans 7, 14 through 20. And... Um, it, this scripture, it is talking about uh, a conflict of two natures. Um, number one, a nature indwelled with the Holy Spirit, and the second one, a carnal nature, which we all have in us. And every, I swear, every time I quote this, I get so tongue-tied. It's the whole, for I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I do not want to do, and all that, you know, and then you start, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. So every time I do it, I, I stutter. But it, yeah. the uh, in verse 19, Paul says this thing that made me lose sleep. He says, but I practice the very evil I do not want. Mm. What did you say, Paul? Yeah. He said, I practice it? Excuse me, please. (laughs) Why did you say that? You know? Come again? Because we're not supposed to practice it because you don't go to heaven if you do that. You know? That's what the the dings going off in my head, the light bulbs. Which then, right immediately, we get out our lexicons and we're like, maybe it's a different word. And then we're like, no, it's the same word here that it is in Galatians. And you're like, oh. At which point, three well-known scholars don't touch it with a 10-foot pole. And you're like, what is this? Cowards! Yeah. So this is what we ran into. And um, I have some thoughts on this. Do you have Do you have any thoughts before I go into them, Josh? Well, we texted a lot back and forth, and I know that you were going to talk about this, so I didn't write anything down. Okay. I, I have my thoughts, but why don't you present them first, okay. and I'll see if they're right. Okay. So... <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, this was a collaborated effort, <laughs> yeah. so I, Josh will... Well, he'll say if it is or not after I say this. Uh, Paul speaks of practicing the evil he does not want to do. And the context of that is the law. That's what he's talking about in this whole thing. Mm. We know that Paul was a Pharisee before his conversion. And it seems that he may have had urges to put his trust in the rituals of the law for salvation Probably in a very subconscious way. Yes. I mean, he was brought up that way. It was muscle memory for him. Exactly. He was raised to believe that the law was the key to righteousness. So in essence, Paul seems to be saying that to put trust in your good works in exchange for righteousness is not only wrong, but it's evil. Mm. It's To do that would be practicing evil. And it would be a direct warning to anyone who might think, well... I'm going to heaven because I have a list of good things that I've maintained my whole life. Mm-hmm. That that seems to be the, the heart of this. And, it, and it's more crucial than we understand uh, that Jesus and his work on the cross is the only way to the Father. To cling to our good deeds as a trade for heaven would be on the road to practicing sin. Yes. That's what I really felt God lay on my heart. 
Um, I would have presented you something with a, a smart scholar, but he didn't want to touch it. So that's <laughs> that's really what I believe this is talking about. Yeah, yeah, that he was kind of feeling the the weight of his past pulling him back in. Yeah, and this is almost like an inner monologue of him saying, "Here's what I want to do. Here's what I don't want to do, and here's how it's ending up." And he, because he goes on and he mm-hmm. goes, "Oh wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death?" Yeah. And okay, I don't know if you know this, but this is really interesting to me is that in biblical times, especially in Paul's time, and I even heard it might have been a Tarshish custom, which is where he was from. He was from Tarsus, is that when somebody was found guilty of committing murder, they would actually be tied and, and bound to the body of the person that they killed. Oh, wow. And a lot of times because of the rot and like the disease that would come from having to drag this body around, they would actually end up dying themselves. And it was an even worse um, punishment than the crime that they had done because of how brutal and, and disgusting it would get. Yeah. And so he was saying, now that I struggle with this flesh that I am battling against, I'm dragging it along with me. Who can deliver me from this evil that I oh, practice? Wow. And he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ. That's great. So, and, and you know, another thing that just came to my mind that I love through this, this example that he gives here is it is so applicable to us today mm-hmm. because for Paul, it was the law, but us Gentiles who are now, we're all part of God for us. It's our carnal nature. Yes. So it doesn't matter if this was in context the law to Paul because he was touching both parties. Mm-hmm. For it's the carnal nature for him it was the law. Whatever it is, it's it's a choice of something other than what Jesus did. Yes, and that's the point being made. Yeah. So yeah, man, how deep is that? And how awesome is it? now that we we struggled with that verse and we went back and forth? I've got like ten times more peace now than I did before when I thought I understood what it said. And that's the living word of God, <laughs> yeah. man. I love yeah. it. Yeah, that that wrestling can actually result in something where you're like, oh, I grew just through my Bible study and through um, dealing with something that, in a sense, could shake your faith because you're like, well, does that mean there's a contradiction that I just discovered? That, exactly. You know, and and commentators have not touched on. And yeah, yeah. But but here we are with a stronger faith, even after struggling mm-hmm. with it. And it honestly, it makes so much more sense to me now. Yeah, you might have already kind of had a hunch of what it was saying. I didn't. I, it's a possibility that yeah, some people just they read it and they go, oh, that makes sense. But for me, I sometimes I have to chew on it for a while, and mm-hmm. and like God's word says, we have to meditate on it for a while, and and it isn't a bad thing to have to wrestle with some scriptures. Yeah. Because a lot of times we come out and we go, oh, that's the understanding that we're going to get from this. And so yeah. I uh, I really appreciate that. And what I love about it, too, is it points to Jesus, just like the Bible. The Old yes. Testament looking to him, the New Testament looking back to him. It all points to Jesus, just like that verse. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And that's the result. I I just I I geek out on where he comes back and he goes, It's Jesus. It was always Jesus. And so um yeah, Romans is such a fantastic book. It really is. Yeah. The way it's laid out. Mm-hmm. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah. It is. Okay, so we've talked about a non Christian and what they would how they would kind of have a seared conscience and then we've talked a lot about a believer and I just wanna ask the question, can a believer backslide? And of course the answer is yes. 
And I was surprised to find out how many, just even verses, um, depending on the different types of translations you use, have the word backslidden in it or backsliding in it. And there's a, a lot in Jeremiah. And then there's um, that really popular verse that says, if my people will humble themselves and pray mm. and return to me. And, and there's that essence of backsliding in it. So I think that's a, a constant theme throughout scripture where, you know, we start following God and then we walk away from them. And that's even what the whole book of Judges is about, is this constant sin cycle where God would send and he would deliver them and they would follow him and then after a time there'd be that waning away period and the next thing you know they God would say well they are full on in their sin I'm just going to give them over to it and they would become enslaved to another nation that didn't serve God and they would cry out and then next thing you know here they come back again and and it just happened over and over again yeah and so I think um, for us we have to recognize when we are backsliding yeah because we've said it before on this show is that, um, unfortunately, there is no state of stability, um, even in the universe. The universe is always expanding. And so you realize that with God, you're either always moving forward or you're moving backward. Yeah. And, and it doesn't take long to have that momentum lost and then even just that waning away. And, and I think we just need to watch our hearts and do a heart check. And so the question is, is maybe somebody's listening who felt like they've walked so far away that their conscience is seared and they really do have that question is, can I recover from this? Mm-hmm. And I want to say, of course you can. You can. Because there's nothing in this universe like the grace of our God. That's so true. And that's not Josh and I saying that. That is God's word telling you that. Yes. Uh, And it's important that you know that. Yes. Because uh, without God's word, we're just talking here. Mm -hmm. But God tells you this. Um, I have some verses that would be, uh, I think, are really uplifting. I know for me in times of my doubt, but we, we've mentioned several of them before, but one would be John 10, 27 and 28. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish mm-hmm. and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, John, 1 John 1, 9 is another one that I mentioned. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a choice you can make right now. Yes. You can confess these sins and experience this. Isaiah 118, the one that hit me real hard. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. And then my favorite, um, especially if you're teeter-totting right now, would be 2 Corinthians 6, 2. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Mm. So I would just encourage you to to bathe yourself in those words that are God's and know that it is not too late. This can change right now. Yes. Yeah. God is the great surgeon. He's the great healer. He can restore all feeling to a wounded heart. He can restore fire to a passionless soul. And he can even restore love to an indifferent life. All we have to do is just ask him and then give him room to work. 
James 15, 9 says, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And so I was thinking, like, if you're out there and even you know someone who you feel like has wandered away or is starting to show signs of a seared conscience, go after them. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked about this verse before, but it's Jude 22 and 23. And you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy still to others um, and and do so with great caution, hating the sin that contaminates their lives so it doesn't come into your life. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking just... Uh, practical steps that you can do if you feel like your conscience is starting to get seared. The first one is repent. Yeah. Repent. Repent just means turn away. Like if you're going in one direction, go in a different direction. We heard it this morning at church. Uh, All we need in our lives for repentance is a change of direction. And so we want to, to go away from sin and go towards God. And then we also need a change of leadership because maybe we've been at the helm and all of a sudden we need to let God take over. And so we need a change of direction, a change of leadership, and that's going to result in a changed life. And I think for a lot of us, we need to come back to the church that Jesus addressed first in Revelation chapter two. He said to the church of Ephesus, and and this one is such a, a heavy burden on my heart because it talks about somebody who even feels like they're doing all the things religiously right. And they don't even realize that maybe their heart is in the wrong place because Jesus says, I have this against you that you've left your first love. Yeah. And he says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. He says, come back to your first love. You know, and maybe that's the thing that has to get us back to the place where we're not walking through the motions. Maybe that's the thing that has to get us to the place where we're not fleeing from God. Um, I remember that verse in uh, it's Psalm 138, where David says, where can I go from your presence? Where can I hide from you? And he talks yeah. about like, maybe if, in a, if I made my bed in Sheol, in like the Hades part of uh, Abraham's bosom, he says, you're still there. And he says, even if I fled on the wings of the dawn, your hand would still be able to hold me. Yeah. And and that harmonizes with that verse that you said earlier. But God is always there and his grace is so great that he can bring you back. And like you said, First uh, John 1, 9, confess your sins and he is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yeah. And I would also encourage you, don't get wrapped up in the emotions. Yes. Remember that word practice and a good way to start, even if you don't feel it right now. Um, just think all, uh, like we talked about in Second Peter 1, 5 through 7, you can start with those things. Mm. Start striving for those. Those are things you choose to do, even if you don't feel like yeah. it. Well, and I like how it's the fruits of the faith because it's, or, or even the works of the faith, if you would yeah. go with like something that James might say, because we talked about works of the flesh in Galatians, where it says, and those who practice such will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. But then it also says in, like you said, in second Peter, those who practice such things yeah. will yeah. inherit the kingdom of heaven. And so it is, it's all about what we set our mind to. It's all about the direction that we plan our feet. And if you're out there and again, you have that, that heart, you know, just do a heart check and then see where you're at. And if there is any signs of, of a seared conscience in you, then just ask God for restoration and start heading the right direction. Exactly. So yeah, that's, that's recovering from a seared conscience. 
you know, and if you're out there and you're listening to this and maybe you've been on the fence about where you've been at and, and this encouraged you at all, or you want to continue the dialogue that we've been having, then we really uh, want to encourage you to reach out to us. Uh, you can do so on Facebook or you can do so through our website. You can hit a link there that's going to send us an email. Or if you want to send us an email directly, our email is connect at beasnakebird.com. And that's beasnakebird.com. And we would just really like to hear your story or see where you're at and, and maybe pray for you because we realize that this is a community and this is something where we don't want anyone out there on their own. We want to be able to walk together through this. Yeah. Absolutely. And don't forget, guys, um, if this podcast has benefited you, uh, we really hope that you can share it with friends or family. Uh, and, and if you don't feel comfortable doing that, just if you would give us a, a review or a rating is a big deal. Uh, just this week, Josh and I noticed that we were in five other countries. People have <laughs> pressed play on this podcast. Yeah. And if if whatever you're hearing is helping you, if it can help other people, uh, you don't realize how much a, a rating will will do us good in getting to more people. So yeah. We we if you think we deserve it, we would encourage that, and uh, we'd ask you to do that anyway. And I want to shout out our listeners in, of course, the United States and Texas and Lubbock, where we're at, but yeah. also to the one that listened to us in Russia. Yeah. Welcome in the Netherlands, in France, in Brazil. Yep. Uh, all of those places. Chile. Uh, Chile. Ireland. Yeah. Hello. You know, top of the morning to you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if we didn't just offend them. <laughs> Probably, I hope not. No, we, we were so stoked that, um, that, they, we're getting out there to people, yeah. and, we, and we hope it's making a difference. This is a community, and yeah, the goal here is God's kingdom. Yeah, and if you feel so inclined, share us and, and all the things. You know you know the things that could really help us. Subscribe and all that stuff. And, you know, that's all just gravy because, again, the heart is not to, like, look at our subscriber numbers, exactly. but the heart is to say, can we reach more people? Because of a topic like this, especially even the conundrum that we face, those are the kind of things that, that really trip people up. And we want to provide a snake birdie type of environment to be able to look at things and go, hey, we can work through this. And um, if, if there's a topic that you would like us to speak into, please send us a message about it. Absolutely. In the day and age that we live in now, man, we need it more than ever to be able to talk about these things honestly. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so all right. Always remember, whatever you do, wherever you go, no matter what life throws at you, there's never been a better time to follow the words of Jesus. And be a, a snake, snake bird. bird.